Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Shop Still podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. This is episode number 10. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com. I'm joined by Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks. Hello. And Jordan Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. Hello. We live stream the recording on YouTube every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time or UTC plus 10. Or you can watch or listen to it later on YouTube, iTunes or SoundCloud. I want to say hello to everyone in the chat. We'll get your comments towards the end of the show, but feel free to chat amongst yourselves. The idea being that this is also a place for people to meet. So before we get into the show, uh, just one quick announcement. On last week's episode, there was a comment made by myself uh, that didn't come out as well as I'd hoped. So I just wanted to make a, do a bit of an apology for that. Uh, Joey was talking about making a cage for a customer for the, customer, the client's dog, and I made a comment about... Bad language was used. <laughs> I made a comment about slaves belonging in cages, not meaning that I'm endorsing slaves, but more just that the idea of a cage is that cages are for enslaving things. So that was the point of my comment was, as a dog person, I, I don't see my dog like that. My dog's part of the family. So, yeah, my my point was not to... Yeah, make a, a comment right. about endorsing slavery. So anyway, it came off completely wrong. We ended up, we talked about it the next day. We pulled the show, edited it out, re-put it up there. I just wanted to mention it and do a bit of an apology. Um, yeah, because it just didn't come off as well as I'd hoped. Yeah, cool. So before we get into this week's episode, let's do a quick rundown of what everyone's working on. Um, Joey, that's your cue. Okay. Um, so this week was pretty crappy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sunday, I think the 20th was Sunday. So I had all of December's bills came out of the bank account and left pretty much nothing. Um, so we did a massive scramble on uh, Sunday to figure out what the hell's happened. And obviously, it's pretty standard, I think, for this thing, kind of thing to happen um, because there's no work coming in over the Christmas break and January, half of January is gone. And so anyway, um, it's been a particularly dry uh, January work-wise for me. Uh, usually it's pretty dry, but this year has been pretty tough getting some money coming in. And so, yeah, we were a bit of a mad scramble to find out what's gone wrong and I think we may end up talking about that next week so I'll save the details um, other than that I've been trying to finish this uh, walnut Japanese style sofa which uh, is going pretty good I think tomorrow I'll be able to get the first coat of Danish oil on so looking forward to having that finished although great. yeah it's looking pretty cool I'm really liking mm -hmm the details on it are pretty cool but I just got an email from the client to say oh there's a hold up with the upholstery so can you just hold on to it for another two weeks <laughs> um, so I'm like yeah I can hold on to it you that's can a pay me real estate that yeah, it's a, yeah. that's the problem I'm like can't you just stack it up in your living room like what, what? <laughs> so yeah that's, I'll have to deal with that <laughs> yeah because it's massive it's, Looking it's at it, three point two wide uh, by one point eight, and the returns are one point eight. So, um, wow, it's taking up the whole my whole assembly space. 
Like I know if I if you left something that size in like a cargo port for two weeks, it would cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Like, yeah, I haven't actually emailed the client yet, and I have been taken for a ride before with people storing things like that. So mm. I am likely to say there will be a storage fee. Yeah, uh, because also my main, to be honest, my main concern is there's no way that a nice finished piece like that is going to stay undamaged in my workshop. Yeah, I've got to carry lumps of timber around it, over it, through it. Uh, it's probably going to get splashes of paint on it. Like it's just, I don't have enough space to store something like that. So um, this could be well be a storage fee involved. Mm. Mm. But That's yeah. interesting. I would have never thought of someone. So you, when you say you've had issues like this in the past, is it just they don't come and collect and then you're stuck with it or? Uh, well, in particular, I did a large, very large order of furniture for a resort in Rarotonga. And they just kept adding to the order. Every now and then I'd get an email saying, oh, make another couple of tables. Oh, make another bed. Okay, all right. I'd just keep adding and adding. And it got to the point where the whole back half of my shed was literally stacked to the ceiling with pieces wrapped up, ready for export. So it was a 20-foot container worth. And yeah. it was there for about four months before they... Um, and then I, I said, right, it's now going to be $500 a week. And then the next day, a, a truck pulled up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll make it move. Yeah. Cool. Jo cool. Uh, John, how about you? Uh, I, well, let's see. What did I have last week? I had a dining table I finished, right? Yes. Yeah. Actually, okay. that was cool. Yeah. So did, I did you make a one. bigger version or something? Did I make a bigger version? Did you did you make two versions of that stance table? Uh, I made so this stance table is based on a coffee table design I've had for almost two two or three years. Um, so that might be what you're thinking of because it's essentially um, the exact same design just scaled up. Right. And then for manufacturing, I made it a little bit simpler so that there's no crossover in the base. It's all just. Yeah, so, that's why. That's where I recognise it from. You've done that as a coffee table, huh? Yeah, and then yes, I've had a few you. few comments come through about that one, saying, "Oh, this is Chris Solomon's design." And <laughs> I, I hadn't even seen that that table, and I was like, "Well, I'll have a goo. Oh my god, this is very similar." But it's pretty, uh, he he based his design. I'm pretty sure this is the video he emailed me about using some of the techniques I used in that coffee table. So. Anyway, that's not, the, that's not what I've been working on. I have been working on an American oak uh, dining table. So because I have such a small amount of uh, oak, I really don't want to mess it up or have any design changes. So it's been mostly refining the design and making everything kind of perfect before I start cutting. So I didn't get onto milling anything until today. Um... But yeah, that's going to be really nice. The the oak that I got delivered is just. The, did they really split a pack for you? They did eventually. I had to ring them twice, uh, but they split a pack, so that was good. Um, and it did they pick it? Yeah, they picked it. Okay. So usually, usually I'd like to go down there and mm. select my lengths, but on this occasion, I just didn't have the time to allocate. Yeah. Four hours to go and back. Um, but yeah, what they've selected is just perfect, so I'm not going to complain. It's usually the case when when you can get away with letting them pick it. Usually, they will select the best 
straightest pieces because they don't want return issues. Yeah, so there's one, there is one piece there which I wouldn't have chosen myself. Right. But when I measured it out, the length I need out of that piece, it's right. in a good part it. of the board, so yes, we're we... not even going to worry about it. Yeah, that's probably what they did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, we discussed last week about, or the week before, about my photos and if I'm happy with how it's all mm. kind of done in front of the video. So upgraded. I've, I've upgraded to a proper photo backdrop. So I've got. Yeah got that implemented and uh, hanging in the workshop permanently which is just i love it yeah can i ask a question about that because my one I, yours looks about the same width as my one it's like 2.8 meters or 2.7 meters or something. yeah 2.7 is my one yeah so it came with a cardboard tube like a really heavy duty cardboard tube in it right and i thought that would be sweet to hang it up but within like a day it sagged in the middle it got a big yeah. bow so i had to go buy a big steel pipe and run it through the middle have you done the same thing, or uh, mine? Mine came on an alley tube, but like a little ah. scaff tube. So Flash. I've got it hanging on that, and I've kind of sleeved it. Uh, yeah. If you remember my old vintage stroke sander, mm -hmm. I took that apart a while ago to get the four space back, and that, that had three and a half meter long solid, like twenty five mil rod through it. Um, so okay. that's what I've actually got it hanging on. So it spools on a solid piece of metal. Uh, so there's no saggage issues on that. Very cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of computer stuff basically this week and also website stuff, just trying to get some optimization going, which is not as fun as it sounds. <laughs> All right, so for me, I've been working on the dining room table. If you've been following along, this is a, turning into a bit of a saga. I have the, oh, yeah. the leg assembly built. I finished that today. I've started sanding that, almost finished that. And now I'm working on the top. I've got the first coat of poly on that. So hopefully this week it's going to be it, um, unless anything goes particularly wrong. Um, if you followed along on Instagram, you would have seen there was a bit of a disaster on the fancy corner mitre <laughs> assembly that I was going to do. Just didn't think far enough ahead. Um, yeah. And end up making did an extra wee little quirk or something. <laughs> uh, it was just, it was a bit of geometry that like, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not even upset. Like I, I, I didn't even think to think about that. That's how, you know, detailed it was. It was just where the corners came together. There was, I just missed something and I cut out too much, so I ended up with a big gap, the big hole, right. which was yeah. a, sort of a cube size or cube shape. And, and Jordan and I were talking about it earlier, and he said, why don't you put something in there? And I just I took one look at that hole, and I thought, the geometry that I'm going to need to work out to fill this, just bugger it. And I just, I'm going with straight ends, and that hole right. can be saved for another job. This table's taking too long, so, yeah, uh, we're just going a little bit simpler on it. So, yeah, hopefully that'll be done this week and I've also been working on the outside of the workshop so this concrete workshop needs some sort of cladding on the outside of it because it's a bit just a bit um, ugly this this concrete block so on the back I'm putting cement sheets and on the sides we'll be doing weatherboards so yeah this week I got started on the cement sheet sweet yeah all right um, so then this week's topic uh, we wanted to talk about where we source our hardwoods. So we've we see we we had a chat about it. we've all got very different 
ways of getting our timber. Um, and we thought we'd discuss, because someone left a comment in the last week's video, you know, where do we get it from? Um, so I guess we can start with, um, for me personally, a lot of the woods that I get, uh, particularly hardwood, is all reclaimed. So what I did before this is I went through all my videos trying to find any particular cases where I have bought hardwood. And minus a bit of Tasmanian oak from Bunnings, I don't think I've bought any hardwood in the last two years. Everything that I've got has been reclaimed. Um, so now I know reclaiming is not something that everyone's going to necessarily use or a method that anyone's going to use. Um, but for me, it's worked absolutely perfect. I've, I've got more hardwood sitting out there than I think I'll ever get through. And that's just purely from whenever something gets cut down, you know, mm. or a house comes down or a, a, a piece of, you know, my house comes down, you take it and use it. And it's, yeah, I think it's, I think reclaiming it while there is more work in it is, is something that anyone can do. As a quick aside, do you think if you had a fully stocked with everything um, timber yard two doors down, do you think that you would be buying from them um, and let's say they were moderately priced um, or would you, is it a case of the money's not quite there to be buying what you want or you would just rather save the money and use, take, take the long road and you know, dry your own timber? I think I think it's a I think it's a bit of it's a it's a few things. Um, firstly, obviously, for me personally, I believe in recycling, so you do get that warm fuzzy feeling about reusing it, and and you know from that perspective, you can't you can't buy that. There's also a degree of when when I make like for example this dining table that I'm working on, there's little bits of. Um, there's little bits of paint in the timber that I haven't been able to get down past mm -hmm. and that's just character. So yeah, you can yeah. sort of say like this house that I'm in has a dining room table made from it. Yeah. So there's that aspect. So again, even if I had a place down the road selling me the timber, I don't know if I'd necessarily yeah. want it. That's a bit of a I, story as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a talking so. yeah. Um, so I, I don't know, but having said that, this this project that I'm working on is probably one of my biggest projects and it's taken me the longest to do. And the problem was 50% of it was spent just That's milling. Massive problem. Yeah. Yeah. And this massive labor issue, eh? Yeah. And after doing this, I don't know if I'm gonna run back to reclaimed very quickly because I know Joey, you've um, I'm sure from you know, we've talked about you drying timber and how you don't do it and, and I assume it's for the same reason. You can't spend time working on the timber, it's gotta be ready to go to make the project. Yeah, it's a massive uh, I guess I kind of see there being a separate um, aspects and I know there's a lot of people doing both drying and milling and furniture making. But I can't I guess personally I can't see that I can put enough attention into those two aspects of the business where I take in the information I, I can about, and I try and learn about these things, but there's no way if I was going to do it properly, I'd want to go build myself a solar kiln and take up half of my parking area and probably have to buy a forklift. And then I've got to wait 
you know, whatever, three years before I can use a piece. And where am I going to store that when it's not in the kiln? And like, it's just a massive, um, a massive undertaking. Because if I guess, uh, I think about it from a money point of view is that it's way cheaper to buy two or three massive logs and just get, get an arborist or whatever to drop it off than to go around spending day here and there collecting smaller pieces from my mm. point of view because I just want a big stack of wood that I can start working off at some point. Um, so I feel like it's it's better for me to concentrate on the furniture making side because I feel in a way that drying timber is a whole art form which I I don't have the time to learn properly. But yeah, I've got a, a few things that I would say on that uh, to add to it really. So I have gone down the path of having a sawmill and cutting my own wood and sticker and stackering it and then getting fed up of waiting for it. So I actually bought a small kiln. Mm. But what you'll find when you do start working in that way that you stock up on timber is that the, it's almost guaranteed that the next client that comes in your door is not going to want something made out of that wood. Mm -hmm. So you're still going to have to go to the hardwood dealer mm. and buy 10 lengths of you know walnut or or whatever because what you have isn't necessarily what your customers want and it also is a huge amount of real estate it takes up in your factory so i can yeah. get away with the 250 square meter factory and have a little bit of wood on hand but i couldn't have any more than what i have here and that's only three or four species so i'd need to be in a 400 square meter factory just to fit enough racking and everything for that's it that's it so but surely the cost savings, I mean, the cost of, because obviously getting the, the timber cut, like you're I not, had. You're not saving bit. any money if mm. your clients aren't using that wood. You're only yeah. what, what I was going to say is if, if you are getting that, like this tree that, I've, that I'm trying at the moment, I got that tree for free. So yeah. someone said yeah. to me, you know, off you go. All I had to pay for was the soil, which granted was pretty dear. It was, I think it was $540. It's a fair bit of wood. Oh. Um, but it's still, you know, it's still some money. But it's still for five hundred and forty dollars. I don't believe I could have bought that amount. But how much? Oh, how much time do you think you spent organizing all that? Well, I, I, I should probably clarify <laughs> as well. In the in the beginning, when I was talking about reclaiming, I was talking about things like, um, you know, studs uh, and things, right? Yeah. No, no, like a post on my old house. Yeah. Uh, yeah right. Okay. So it's kind of more like what do they call upcycling or, or? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but in terms of that, that, the work and time that I've put into that tree that I've cut down, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that it's, it was probably a day's worth of work. But I, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I still, I still can't believe that it's – that I still believe that the cost saving must be massive when you, when you do it yourself. I have a good figure that I can tell you, which is my, my first bulk sawing, sawyering. Sawyering? Uh, sawyering, is that a word? Was of a bulk order of logs I bought. I bought 15 tons of black butt. Greens, 15 tons, and that cost me $1,600 delivered to, nice. my, to my yard. Yeah. And when I consider that black butt is about one, one and a half ton when it's green per cube, you know, it's pretty safe to assume by the time I cut all the crap that I couldn't use out, I'd probably end up with 10 cubic meters of black butt mm -hmm. from that. 
And if you go to, let's say, someone that does a lot of flooring, like that size, by the cube, I wouldn't be able to buy it for less than five grand for a cube of black butt. So there's massive savings to be had, but my racks are still full of black butt because there's not <laughs> enough people wanting black butt yeah. to do it. So, you know, there's huge savings. It's just if you can't or haven't moved the turnover of it, yeah. it's, is it worth it? So I guess it comes down to that then you would have to separate it into um, personal use and client work. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the other aspect of milling and saving timber like that is there is so much joy from just opening up a log and seeing what's there. Yeah. It's not the same as getting a rough sawn plank and putting it through a planer. It's taking a tree and turning it into a log. And there is that enjoyment, which you can't really put a value on. So for you, for that, say, 15 ton or say you end up with 10 cube of usable timber, that would be perfect if and when or now you're starting your own line of furniture because yeah. the t- t- you could, you've got enough timber there to last a year. It costs mm-hmm. you 1600 bucks plus some odds and ends, shipping, cutting, whatever. Do you get it? Go, does it go through a kiln or is it just air drying? Uh, half of it went through the kiln. So yeah. the kiln, my kiln only takes to 2.7 meter lengths. That's right. the way I made it. Uh, so the shorts, I always have all gone through the kiln, but the longer lengths were just air dried. So, I mean, once that process is done, you've got eight truckloads of timber um, oh. just waiting to, yeah, it was to be used. Yeah, um, tons of it. And, yeah. I mean, it was good in also establishing myself because I could, I could put furniture out and not worry about the cost of materials mm. if the customer wanted black butt. So I could do the project. I could charge what, what I thought that the black butt was worth, which was way mm. less than the actual street value, and still turn a, turn a profit on those builds and not be pricing myself out of that. Yeah. I'll take a gamble on this new guy sort of market. Did you ever have... So, did you ever have clients say want a jar or whatever table, and you say, "Yep, this is going to cost you this much," but if we use this awesome timber which I've got here, it's going to cost you this much? And you put I, that tone uh, in as well because that's yeah, how you yeah. sell it. Yeah. I don't know how you type that, but <laughs> I would always, I'd always tell them that I can make it out of whatever, but I've got this on the shelf ready to go, and I can offer it at a way cheaper price if you would like to get that as a quote as well. Right. If they're not interested, I'm not going to. But yeah, I, w- I would do that, and I'd say at least four or five occasions they they said, "Yeah, let's do that." Mm-hmm. So, um, Joey, you've obviously well, I guess Jordan then as well for you. You guys have obviously got your suppliers. Did it take you a while, Joey, to find your supplier, or did you just sort of one day find your supplier and that was him, and it's been him for the rest, you know, forever? I guess it did take a while, but I. I think it also took a while because it took a while for me to finally, well, overall it took a long time for me to push the button to make be a furniture maker. I mean, I was always playing around with these things. Um, and then, you know, I just had a kind of a, um, a point was like, right, I'm stopping everything now. I'm going to be a furniture maker. So, um, so up till then when I was kind of in the hobby realm, um, yeah, I was shopping around. I was trying to find like everyone cheap, cheap good wood, which doesn't exist. Um, and so, yeah, I went to the biggest guy in uh, Auckland City and they are useless. They've got the best timber you can see, but uh, well, it's not the best. It's 
the same, but it's, they've got everything you could want by the ton, but they don't know what customer service is. They don't know anything about being nice. So mm. I was like, right, don't really want to use these guys. Um, I came across BBS Timbers in Auckland. They by far the best shop guys I've ever been to really helpful. They just, you know, just, and while their pricing is slightly dearer than the big guys, um, they just, they'll do exactly whatever you want. They'll, they'll, they'll pull down a packet of timber that's buried at the back. Just they'll say, go have your lunch, come back and we'll pull this pallet out. You can split it open. You can pick the board at the bottom and then we'll rack it back up and put it in the, in the racks for you. So, I mean, you don't get much better service than that. Um, Talk, talking about service, um, this is something that myself now, you know, if, if a couple steps back from where you are, I am st- very much still the hobbyist. I'm nervous about going to timber supplies because I don't know all the the, the lingo, what a board <laughs> foot is, all of that. And it is well, a little bit daunting. I'm sure there's a lot of people who, you know, at my stage feel like that. Okay. Do you do you feel like you need yeah. to you need to have some chops before you go to these places, or do you just go in there and ask all the dumb questions, get it all out of the way, and then and then you you go from there? Um, I'll take this first, George. Um, yeah, I think yeah. first you need to be nice. Just be a nice person because these guys are sometimes very busy and run off their feet, and they don't want you standing there saying, "Come on, hurry up, shift the forklift uh, <laughs> so I can pull my piece of wood out," and then hurry up, give me a docket so I can go pay for it. And then, oh, what did it cost too much? Like, you just, you want to go in and say, hey, how you going? Can you, am I allowed to go in and have a look at the timber? Yeah, sure. Okay. Now, uh, and then how's it priced? Oh, by the cubic meter. How does that work? And they'll generally either hand you a price list or tell you the calculation. Um, and then as long as, I think the only thing you need to understand, because I think it's pretty universal, is that all the timbers are random width you're obviously going to pay for the length you buy, but they don't have stacks of 150s, 160s, 170s. It's one big packet. Some do. Some do, but usually those places are machining it into dressed boards. So place that's just going to supply to a furniture maker is they just buy in a random pallet and buy it as a cubic meter, and it can be made up of 400 mil wide boards and 100 mil wide boards just and so you pick out the boards that are best for you and then they tally it up and say you bought x amount of cubes times the the cubic price that's how much money it costs um and i reckon as long as you understand that it's going to be random widths and you either get them to pick it and pay for it they pay like a surcharge usually or you go and pick it out yourself like as long as you understand that basics and be nice about it can I pull the timber out and make a stack here? Yeah, sure. Am I going to be in the way? No, great, sweet. Like, it's just basic courteousness. So, Leroy's just popped a question in the, in the com- oh, comments in the comments. Don't pretend to know what you don't. You'll get yourself in trouble. And, and as someone who hasn't ever dealt with a timber yard before, it is very tempting to do that, to sort of not mm-hmm. not not pretend that you, you know what you're talking about, but you also don't want to go in there and look like and look like a fool because you don't know what's going on and, and yeah. there's so many people I've talked to about buying timber and that I've, I've listened to on podcasts say it's scary 
because you you don't know anything and these guys all know what they're talking about and you're that one fish in this very big sea who's just you know yeah. feels like a moron i think uh one really good idea especially if it's going to be your first approach to a company give them a ring and say hey look this is going to be my first time coming down to you guys and sussing out what it's all about is there a quiet time of day that mm. you would suggest i come in because if you show up when they're busy with every single guy on the floor picking orders and you come in there and you're expecting to be served, you would probably get grumpy if you were in their shoes. Mm. So by kind of trying to prearrange it, I think it will also bring the burden off of, you know, lift that, that feeling off your shoulders and bring them, someone that's really friendly and ready to help you out to the counter to talk you through it. Yeah, like generally, um, generally early mornings, they're always busy. They're trying to get the trucks loaded and out of there. And generally afternoons, they're pretty quiet. They die off. Yeah. Like my, my main supplier, I've got a few, but my main one, which is Oztim here in WA, they're really good for customer service and they like doing it through email or phone. So if I email the guys and I say, look, I need, um, and, and I should say that Oztim do it by the width, uh, minimum. Right. So I'm, I'm often ordering like 150 by 38s. That's my most common size. And yeah. the boards they pick are all rough sawn, but the minimum width is 150. Sometimes they get up to 180. Right. Um, but yeah. So I'll, I'll email them and say, look, I'm looking for 10 lengths of 150 by 38. Minimum length has to be 2.2 meters. Um, and I'll generally that same afternoon we'll get an email back from one of the guys saying with a, a current stock count they'll send me through a list of everything that they have on the shelf quantities and lengths and i can tell them which ones i want which ones i need or if i need anything extra and they'll pick it out and they're great like that however my first time going to them it was not the same experience it was pretty early and i knew exactly what i wanted but i couldn't i didn't realize i could just couldn't just rock up and expect to grab my board and be on my way. Like, you know, they had their guys have to go through and pick it and everything like that. Um, the most I feel intimidated by is when I go to the smaller timber yards who have their own sawmill and they're selling slabs because a lot of them you have to talk to the guy about the prices and then he kind of just makes it up on the top of his head. And then I try and calculate it in my head. How much is that actually working out to? <laughs> because, you know, they're selling a little live edge slab, which is 400, 500 mil wide for three, $400. Yeah. And it's just that, like, well, that's got to be up to 10 grand a cube. Yeah. And this is, Jared, this shouldn't be any more than six. Yeah. And, you know, a slab of that size has way less work involved than dimensional timber. It's literally mm. sawing it through and through on a sawmill. You don't have to, you don't have to count it. <laughs> but that's where I get intimidated is when I go to these small yards. Right. Let's say, Jordan, uh, sorry, um, Robin, um, I, when I bought Teak for the first time, I looked like a complete fool because it has a complete different pricing structure. And it's by... That's it's what from, I'm talking about. Why? Why does it have a different pricing structure? Because the timber is so bloody rare. And they sell it by regular, the regular size, but then there's length categories. So between zero and one meter is this price. And then between one meter and two meters long, it's this price. And then anything over three meters, it gets even more expensive. 
oh, because the logs yeah. are, uh, are getting bigger and bigger and you're mm. buying much more rare pieces of timber. And so, um, yeah, I found like I, I, put, I got them to tally up my order of teak and it was more than the entire job was costing the client. And I was like, holy crap. I got to put some pieces back and figure out how I'm going to do this. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was not a fun, fun day. Cause essentially I, I made that table for free. Wow. Yeah. So do you then, because my, my supplier only deals in solid wood and I have a different supplier for sheet goods and, and whatnot. Does your supplier in uh, Fungaray have sheet goods as well? Yeah. I've actually got a really good, good supplier. Yeah. Because yeah. Like this is something I've had to, I've been looking into and it's kind of scared me because I have mm. nothing, I have no knowledge about man-made particle board and, and yeah. MDF sheets. So when I yeah. contacted a supplier here in Perth about proper hardwood, veneered MDF and chipboard and plywood, yeah. I sent them an email, said, look, when you were a fairly small business based in O'Connor, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and the guy immediately rings me back and treats me like an idiot because I didn't specify what thicknesses I need, what veneer thicknesses I need, what glue, <laughs> all this stuff. And I'm like, look, the world I came from, a veneer, you, you get veneer in sheets and yeah. I veneer it in my own vacuum bag, yeah. all right? You don't need to treat me like an idiot. Um, yes, it's quite, you're right, it's quite a different kettle of fish dealing with uh, those large plywood suppliers. Um, do they? I find it still... Uh, a bit, um, I wouldn't say, maybe just a bit confusing because they will rattle off their lingo for their products and the next supplier has completely different lingo for the way they manufacture their product. And so it's just a matter of kind of remembering what each supplier calls the same thing. Yeah, um, right. And then, and you've just got to buy a couple of sheets at some point and say, okay, I didn't like this product. Next time I'm going to, go for the highest spec version or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Like, I, I will say, after I, after that phone call, the guy actually kind of realized I wasn't just an idiot. Right. And he, he said, look, do you want me to come down and have a chat and we can discuss what we have on offer? And from that initial point of contact, it was great because they've right. come down, they've cleared it up, they've explained all of their different grades, their thicknesses, and it's like they is call he... it ammo over here, yeah. which is uh, like Victorian ash on the underside, yeah, which is the cheapest veneer, and then say your your oak or your maple or whatever on the top. Your face, yeah, and that's you know we can the price thing I can, that. Blah, blah, blah. The thing I can recommend is that the major plywood only suppliers here. There's a couple of big manufacturers who just do veneer sheets and import all sorts of crazy stuff. Which I was just looking the other day, and I saw stuff I've never even thought of. But I'm going to have to look into it. Um, get them to send you a sample box. I've got a couple of, right. um, I've got a, from one supplier, they, they send little 100 by 100 samples of each of the things, anything you want. And I've just got this container load of samples <laughs> and it's got the price list on it. You can have a look at it. You can cut it on the saw to see what it, how it cuts, what it smells mm -hmm. like, you know, all that kind of jazz. And also when a client walks in, you can say, here's everything available. Yeah. yeah. Pick it up, smell it, feel it. Because you get pre-finished sheets these days as well. And so you can say, like, we can do your whole kitchen out of these pre-finished sheets. Yeah. It's going to be quicker. It's going to cost you a heck of a lot more because they're like $500 a sheet. But you know, <laughs> like we, we have the technology. You know, we can do it. So, what do those sample boxes cost? Uh, free. 
That's wow. true for me. That yeah. seems like a pen blank extravaganza. Uh, well, yeah, possibly. Well, <laughs> if, all, if they well, send it to a big kitchen manufacturer and they get three one massive order. orders, <laughs> they've yeah. made so much money back, so yeah. it's worth it. Yeah. And I ended up actually buying a pallet load from them one, one time, I bought a whole pallet load of their plywood, so they got yeah. money. Is your plywood charged per sheet or by the square meter? Oh, by the sheet. God, oh, square meter is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's a weird system that this I mean, it's these got 2.2 in a sheet or something. So. Yeah. Mind you, plywood is a fixed size, whereas MDF and stuff can be three meters long or one meter long. So, In oh. regards to pricing from these um, timber, timber yards, Mm-hmm. Is that something that you should know going into it or do you just have to sort of trust that they aren't going to be, or I guess in other words, is each timber yard going to have a different price and you should do your homework or do you just go to your nearest timber yard and, and it'll probably be no, right? Man, get a price off of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have, have a baseline of what you should expect to be paying. Uh, because but now how do you know what you should be expecting to well, pay? That, that's well, that's the hard thing. Um, like big, big timber yards, they will give different pricing depending on who you are. So if you're a walk-in customer, you're going to obviously be paying more per meter than if you're one of their best, you know, manufacturings that get 20 orders a day come through. Um, so there will be levels of, of whatnot. But, yeah, the question of what should you expect to be paying, I mean, if you can kind of calculate in your head that if, say, they're selling 100 by 25 mil boards and it's $10 per square meter... Try and calculate in your head what that works. Sorry, not per square meter, per meter. Try and calculate what that would work out to be as a cube because if it's 10 grand, you know that that is just ridiculous and you should be telling them that you're not going to pay that. Yeah. I mean, you you say that that's ridiculous, but, uh, you know, as as anyone who doesn't know what it is per cube, it it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. So So, I see Kathy's just said get four quotes and tell them to (laughs) re-quote, which is probably the safest route. But, okay, so... I'm looking, I look, I'm not sure what kind of where you're going because I've no idea what's the deal in Australia really. But certainly my all I can tell you is my experience of what I deal with and that is I'm dealing with a professional company that has to have a pricing list and they can't just make out prices on a whim. It's illegal. I mean, you have to have a point of how much do they charge. They've got to have it written down. So you just ask them for a price list. Any any place is going to have a price list, um, and so I and they update it every now and then. They'll send me the, the latest version, um, and that just has the cubic rates, and um, and it's based on quantity. The more you buy, the cheaper it gets, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's so generally, say for sheet goods, anything under ten sheets, you're paying full price. Ten sheets or more, you get a discount. 20 sheets or more, you get a bigger discount. And same with hardwoods. It's three scales. You buy under a, under half a cube, you're paying full price. You pay you know, whatever, a cube or more, you're getting a crap load more off. And, you, and if you're buying mm. you know, plus, you're getting a whole lot more off. So there's three levels of pricing. And you just that's how, that's how a price works. If you don't know that number, you can't price work for mm. a start. Um, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Here, here in Australia, you'll have like a trade price, you'll have a resale, and the trade prices can be, I, I know from my 
days working in a trade supplier, you'd have, we had four tiers. So we had like tier eight, which is the highest and that's the biggest discount. And there was T1, which was barely, barely better than uh, retail, but a little bit. So if you do show up, you can ask them for the trade price list, then you're gonna get a better deal than the retail guys. Mm. But do be prepared that they might ask for your ABM. Yeah. Or so, they will sell so, you the goods. So they we have trade price. Thing. Yeah. Trade price here generally only applies to um, big hardware stores, like the building supply stores. So if you're, you've got an account with the company, if you've got a business account, that's you're going to get the business pricing um, because it's like no frills. You get the good service. But, you know, you're not buying the fancy stuff on the shelves. You just want, like, 50 sheets of particle board and you're away you go. Like, um, so, but, yeah, it doesn't really work trade pricing. I wouldn't, and, yeah, I don't think it works in the, this particular branch of selling wood over here. Um, because, yeah, well, people can be greedy, I suppose, but... <laughs> People are greedy. <laughs> They're trying to make money. It's a business. Um, so talking about big box store, one of the questions that I had for you guys, uh, I'm sure a lot of people like myself do buy their hardwoods from a big box store. Is that timber that we're getting from that type of store rubbish? I mean, Jordan, you'd obviously be able to answer for Bunnings. Like the the, the Tassie Oak and the Moranti that I buy from Bunnings, is, is that Decent. I mean, is 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 the wood wood, or am I going to get a much better type of wood from the, you know, a, a proper yard? It's it's good wood sometimes. Like the pine and stuff, that's a different story because there are so many variables with how it's dried and everything. But with the hardwoods, I, you know, it's good, but you're really limited. That's the biggest thing. Like you, you've got nineteen by thirty-eight, nineteen by hundred. Like you know you. The the sizes are dressed to whatever they have on the shelf, and if you're looking at a thicker stock, it's just ridiculously expensive, like sixty dollars. Ah, so, it, so it's meter. more expensive buying. Well, okay, well that might, that's so, that's a stupid thing. I stopped it before it came out my mouth. Is it substantially more expensive buying it from a big box store? Not so the smaller I like the smaller nineteen by thirty generally is like cheap. As it gets, that's how they kind of rope you in, in my opinion. Mm. I don't know if that's fact, but I, I believe it is. Um, but then, if you're so, if you're looking at, let's say, Tassie Oak, which is uh, Vic Ash, and you're looking at their 38 mil thick by 75 mil boards, what would you expect to be paying for something like that at Bunnings? I mean, I haven't shopped there for a long time, but so I got some prices: um, Tasmanian Oak per meter. Six bucks. 11 41. Whereas at my supplier for, is that for 38 mil? No, sorry, that's for 19 mil. Oh, 19. Okay. Yeah. So the, the closest I have is 75 by 25 from my supplier, and that's $6 a meter. Jeez. So, wow. That's, like, that's crazy. But, whereas, but then if you were to buy one board, would it the be price that? that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But this is starting price, it goes up for, from quantity. Um, what was the price you just said? Sixteen dollars. Uh, Six, I said. I said eleven. Eleven. So if I was to get like the close closest size that costs that from my supplier in Vic Ash is a hundred by thirty eight. So, mm -hmm. you, are you being dressed for your supplier, George? 
No, I mean, this is rough, but let's yeah. say that that is dressed yeah. size. Once it's dimension, that's the size. Yeah. So that you're paying, that's why he's paying a bit more too. It, that's true. It is. Going through a machine and then, yeah. and then the big box store adds 100%. So it makes yeah. $11 sounds about right. Yeah. So the Maranti was, um, now I'm starting to question whether I got my figure right for Tessio because Maranti was 737 a meter, same size. And yeah. then Merbar was 570. But then that's that's decking, so that um, yeah, you'd, that's you'd, a different story you'd again. Sort it out yourself. But yeah, so those are sort of the that's what I can get from. And in comparison, the pine is four eighty a meter. Yeah, what I size? Mean, Say again. What size is the pine? That is ninety by nineteen, all the all the same size. Ninety by nineteen for how much? Four eighty a meter. That's dressed though again. I can get the same thing at 180 by 19 for the same price. Yes. So yeah. it is. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. And 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 so you're saying that that's dressed, Joey? Yeah. Sure. Because I know that that's one thing that might put a lot of people off when they buy is they don't want it rough sawn. I know for me, you know, talking about this dining table, the next project I work on, I just want to get dressed timber and start building from <laughs> from the get-go. Yeah. I don't want to be worrying about milling. So, you know, but if you can get that dressed at that price, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. you buy it all the time, that stuff. Whenever I'm there, I'm just give me 10 pieces. That only comes at 2.4 long, though, so that's... That, that price, Joe, is that finger joint and dressed or is that that's actual single? Yeah. Oh, wow, okay, that's cheap. And, yeah, I mean... Some of it has some splits. Some of it has some fork mark gouges. Um, but on the whole, um, it's pretty good. My supplier also, I'm probably going to rub this in because plywood for you guys, I think, is very expensive. <laughs> yeah. um, and this is only probably for the last year been available. I can get um, clean-faced 18 mil pine plywood for $50. So I can get it at that price, but it is marine ply. Yeah. And the minute I cut into it, I'd say like you've got more chance of hitting a void than not. Okay. Right. Like one in one in ten boards is good quality all throughout. So it's fine for shop stuff, but I would never trust that for like a client's build or a cupboard or something like that. Um, so fifty dollars is well, that would be like two and a half square meters. Yeah, I mean, I can get that for $76 for a good right. quality one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this but, stuff is slightly voidy, but um, good enough for what it is. In fact, I actually know an upholsterer who has stopped using MDF and only buys pallet loads of that plywood <laughs> because if you buy it by the pallet load, it's $40 a sheet. Wow. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm yet to find a really good supplier of sheet goods, especially good quality plywood, because the last <clears throat> last quote I got for some high ply, like nine mil, with as many laminations as I could, was almost $230 for a sheet. Of what? Nine mil? Nine mil. Marine. Yeah. But, Holy yeah. crap. Yeah. Also, like, internal rib structure of surfboards. Right. I want it to be as good as possible, but... yeah. I was not going to pay that. I actually ordered for one job. I needed some really clean ply, pine ply. 
and ended up buying top of the range, that cleanest stuff you could get. It cost me $300 a sheet, and it was n- not any different from the $50 sheet. <laughs> you gotta love that. I was pissed about that. All right. Uh, well, I reckon let's get to some questions. I had a, quite a few questions come in this week um, by email, so I thought we could get into those. Uh, the first one comes from Ben, and this is an interesting question because I've looked at this myself recently. It says, I'm wanting to buy a benchtop sander, something somewhat portable that I can lift onto my bench when needed, but can't decide between a 12-inch disc sander or a combo machine that has the smaller 8-inch disc and also the 4-inch belt. I don't really have a specific task for it, but want something for oddball tasks such as sanding joints to fit, grinding corners, etc. What do you guys think? I don't have one, but I would like one. Um, As far as I'm aware, they're very useful tools. Mm -hmm. I just don't have any experience with one, mainly because I don't know where I'm going to put it and I kind of make do without. So I've just not not pulled the trigger. I saw in your one of your videos, Joey, you've got this gigantic like bench. The Bob and Sander. Yeah. Is that what it's it called? Right. Yeah. So I guess I that's the first machine I ever bought. I was 15. I bought that. And right. um, it's a pneumatic, um, the pneumatic um, drums. Drums. Are both and, pneumatic? Yeah. So you can pop but, them up there. Yeah. The big one's got a leak now and I can't seem to fix it. And, blah, blah, blah. and I bought it for sanding skateboards when I was doing that. Um, and so, yeah, it's really good for sanding oddball shapes and big mm-hmm. curves and stuff. And so if I really need to remove material, I'll pull that out. That was 500 bucks back in 2000 and whenever, two. So we had we had one of those at uni when I was studying and that thing was like, I use that more than anything. Mm. I have a sanding machine anyway, but I, we can't, we've got one supplier here with them still, but they're just, they're really small. They're not wide. Yeah, drums, yeah, so. right. yeah I've got and, to get custom sanding belts made, which is always a problem. Pain, but yeah. Sure. Yeah, because that's, that's a disc belt combo m- machine I've looked at um, quite a few times, but never pulled the, the trigger. Um, they look super handy, but for me, all I've done is taken my belt sander, flipped it upside down, clamped it down, and that, that's it. Now, it's probably not as good, mm. but it works. Well, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's exactly I, the same thing. I had, I had one of the little ones, not, not the bench top ones, but the standalone, um, and I donated it to my dad, actually. But it was a really useful sander. Like, I used it for edge sanding on the top, but it was kind of tricky to keep at 90 degrees. Um, but I very rarely used the disc. The disc was great for rounding out things, but it's just not what I do that mm. often. So I ended up going for a proper edge sander, which is, uh, I don't know, 900 mil wide. So I can still get a good cabinet door on there, flush it up. Right. Um, but I would say, if you have the money, go for the longer belt sander with mm. the side cable attachment because you can use the end of that the the drum or the you know the belt wheel, mm-hmm. and you can do inside curves on that. Mm. It's really useful um, and more versatile, in my opinion. I think Jet have a so you get for like five around the five hundred dollar mark, you get the combos, but then Jet. The next bracket up, I, I can't remember what exactly it is. They have a the arm that you know swivels, mm-hmm. but it's just the arm, but it's much much bigger than than these combos, and that's sort of the one that I was looking at because yeah, is the disc worth it when you've got that when, when you've got a much bigger belt? Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't you, know. The disc sanders, if you have them big, like twelve inches minimum, mm-hmm. 
are really awesome. But mm. the little ones, you can't get much, can't on, fit it. much on it. So you're better off to go to the bigger, in my opinion, bigger belt sander. The discs are generally used for flattening things off. They're kind of used a bit like a drum sander would be used in, in, in a way. And so you really want something like Frank Howarth has got, which is like two feet across. Yeah. Um, and you can, you know, flatten the tabletop on it if you want. Yeah. I'm, I'm really upset because there was one, it was a twin sided, uh, so two different discs on it, and it was 800 mil diameter. <laughs> it was getting sold in Perth, I don't know, about sometime last year, and it was only like $300. <laughs> I, I looked at it and I hesitated, and I should have just gone because <laughs> the next day I was like, stuff, I'm going to do it. It was going, yeah. All right, we've got another question from Leroy. Leroy sent an email with a couple. What we'll probably do is just do one today, Leroy, and then get to the rest in the in a ne- the next episode. So um, the one that I wanted to talk about today, um, so he, the question was, have you ever considered doing formal training to give yourself more legitimacy to the masses when trying to sell things? So either TAFE course or taking classes at a woodworking school. I kind of wanted to just manipulate the question, ask. That's a subject. That's a whole topic. <laughs> and, and I just wanted to ask the question and maybe maybe just give it a simple as simple an answer as possible because we do have a couple more. Yes. For me, should I consider doing that? Oh, well, I can't speak for you, but um, I would say no. I would say yes, but not not full qualifications, but you know the, the night courses that they run at some TAFEs? Like if you were wanting to do welding, it was so much better to go in and do welding at a night course I than guess just picking depends. up a, a settling yeah. torch and trying to bloody figure it out as you go. Do you want to learn skills or are you just looking for the piece of paper? And that's why I say for, for me, like the way Leroy's asked it is I want to sell to people. So I want to show people that I'm the real yeah. deal. Should I have that piece of paper to show to them that, cause I assume, I assume Joey, you've got a type of qualification, don't you? I'm qualified at nothing. Right. Okay. So I just assumed that your woodwork and through your trade, cause I, I used to be trade qualified in a way at building. They <laughs> they had a, they had this whole big thing and they had to change qualifications and the government changed all sorts of stuff. Anyway, I ended up getting that but got rid of it because I had to pay for it and I wasn't mm. building it anymore. Mm. Um, so, yeah, no, I have no qualifications. My, my uh, what I was going to say to you, Robin, is that mm. do you – I, the only reason I could think to have that piece of paper hanging on the wall was be if people are asking to see it. Do people? Do you think mm. that people go, hmm, I need to find a furniture maker. I better find one who's got a doctorate. He's <laughs> got a picture of his plaque on the wall. Or, yeah, or do you enough. think they go, hey, show me a picture of that last thing you made. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's, that's your qualification, I think. See... Yeah, I I agree with that. Like, I've got a few qualifications. Like, you know, I'm certified in furniture design and 3D product design, and I'm also a graphic designer, not that it applies to today's technology. But I would never advertise that fact or have it on a plaque or anything because I just don't feel it's actually relevant to my physical skills. Mm. So... Like, I would be all for going and doing night courses to improve skills and learn from someone for that, but I wouldn't at all go and enroll in uni or TAFE. Or, and how mm-hmm. much would you be willing to pay 
for that qualification and how much time would you be willing to dedicate to that and not learning the actual skill that you're right. trying to learn because yeah. I'm well like I say I haven't been to university but I'm pretty sure they're going to teach you stuff in that course that doesn't actually really relate to what you want to learn mm -hmm. and then all roundabout stuff in, right, in industries qualifications often are necessary but don't mean anything like you know, yeah. my other field like rigging, there is so many people that have advanced riggers that I wouldn't trust with a fly, you know, so, and yet they've still got it. It doesn't mean anything. A piece of paper yeah. mm. doesn't show skill. It just shows that you've got a piece of paper. It shows that you sat in the classroom and paid attention enough to pass the test. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, and that's as far as I went, yeah. All right, let, let's dedicate that an episode to that because it's obviously yeah. a big topic. Um, Gareth earlier asked in the, quest, in the comments, how much do you guys pay for walnut? I'm paying 70 odd per lineal at around 200 mil by 30. Uh, if I am buying, what size was it? 200 by 30. 30. Well, the closest I have, if I'm doing it by the meter, is 200 by 38 and that's 67 dollars a meter but if i'm buying it in large quantities so like by the cube it's 6150 per cube um i think that's pretty standard I, right i can get 200 by 25 sold as 25 often if you're lucky you'll get a 30 mil board in there uh 31 dollars a meter yeah so that, that's the same as here as well for 25 so, well, thirty-one fifty. So. Sure. Yeah. So that's exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. And then finally, Rob Trotveta. Probably saying it wrong. <laughs> I was. Uh, he has gone as that. Like to ask how you've all gained your ex your knowledge of woods, obviously experience. But do you read books or other videos on YouTube? Mm. Um, no, for, on, for me, mostly it's practical just buying a hunk of something, telling, you know, just saying, um, yeah, I'll make it out of this timber. And then I learn on the job. That was initially. Um, learned some pretty big lessons pretty quick. And I did learn quite a bit about timber movement from a few different sources um, and, and timber milling and how it's um, – what the cuts are called, the difference between quarter saw and rift saw and why you want them and how to pick them out in a stack of timber. And so I learned that from a couple of books and I actually ended up buying a DVD or online video thing, downloadable thing. Um, it was like a three-hour video of this old boy sitting on a stool. Um, but I, I learned a whole lot from that, actually. I forget what it's called even, but um, yeah, so... Definitely. Yeah, I must say, my all the stuff that I've learned about the timbers now, obviously, I haven't worked with, with as many timbers as you guys, but all of it has been through experience because no matter how many videos I watch, it's not going to, or how many books I read, it's not going to mean the same thing until you actually yeah, try it out try it out and experience it. Tasmanian oak just splinters like crazy. You would never know about that until you've properly worked with it. Um, so, yeah, for me personally, it's just been, just through experience yeah i mean i'd say same deal i've had a few mentors and uh you know good contacts throughout the years which i've managed to learn a lot of small tips and tricks from um and that to me has probably been my most valuable thing you know like joiners 
with 60 years experience and uh, other bespoke furniture makers that are working in different timbers to me and all of that. But until I pick up a board and then find out that, you know, like jam, jam tree, if you get a splinter in that, you got to get it out, otherwise it will fester and get infected nice. really quickly. <laughs> Didn't know that until that happened. Uh, but yeah, all, all hands on, I, I'll say. Experience, yeah. Cool. All right, so let's talk about who we're watching this week. Yeah. I unfortunately forgot to bring this up last week, so I'm sure we've all got our, <laughs> our videos ready. Um, there's there's no links in the video right now, but they will be in shortly after the show. So this week, it's, I just want to mention Colin Black Byron. He's a mate down in Adelaide. Um, I went to his workshop once. It's it's pretty cool. He recently did a, a railway sleeper table. It's pretty big. But the way he's joined the boards instead of just gluing the boards together, he sort of made a mold and poured epoxy and the boards are floating in it. So because they're sleepers, they were just, they were messy. So instead of milling them to glue them mm. together, yeah, yeah. sink the things in epoxy. How, how and it's pretty, it's pretty big. So they're Jarrah wow. sleepers. So it's heavy. Um, I think it was, it just going on, on the video, 1.8, maybe 2.4 long. Water, water resin. <laughs> you just go through buckets of the stuff. Um, Did and he then, make like a big mold for it? Melamine mold. Ah, huh. And then he gets a router and he just cuts it all away to flatten it. it off. Which seems like waste, but, you know, obviously that's the best way to do it. Um, polishes it up. Yeah. It's a really, it's a, it was a really cool idea. Um, pretty cool. And yeah, watch interesting, interesting take on it. How about you, John? Uh, this week I have, it actually plays in well to our last little question, the belt and disc sander, uh, Justin Depew. He is, I think he's fairly new, but he's kind of like a Matthias Wandel sort of channel. Right. He makes a lot of his own machines and uh, all of that. But the last last two videos I watched is uh, the building a disc and belt sander and also building a box joint jig, but for a miter saw. Both things I will never make or ever need, but just really good video. So, Justin Depew. Cool. Right. Um, me, Frank Klaus, again, I mentioned him two weeks ago, but he's got another video out called Watertight Joint. Um, man, that's awesome. I, when I saw how he did this joint, I thought that makes so much sense, but for, I would never have ever thought to do it. That's apparently his granddad taught him and told told him not to tell anybody, but he made a video about it. Um, <laughs> it is pretty crazy. So it's, it's him explaining how he's got a little water trough, I guess, which is for his sharpening stones, and um, and it's explaining how come it doesn't leak, and it's so cool. So and it's just water, and it's just wooden nails. It's just. Great. Sounds very interesting. I might give that a watch after. All right, everybody. Well, that's it for today's show. Um, Joey Jordan, do you have any other anything else you want to add? Uh, nope. 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 Go cut some wood, guys. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everyone in the chat, and thanks everyone for listening or watching. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you again same time next Thursday. My name is Robin Lewis from Robin Lewis Makes. We've got Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks and Jordan Crawford from Periodic Studio Furniture. We'll talk to you guys next time.